Let us all take a deep breath as we go to God in prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts gathered on the internet be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Thank you for being our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Two months ago, before Lent even began, I was asked to write a devotional for Holy Saturday for an online Lenten devotional called Picture Lent, and I was assigned a text and a word to focus on. The word was preparation, and the text was John 19, 38 through 42. The narrative about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus preparing Jesus' body for burial with an overabundance of spices and placing his body in a tomb before the Sabbath began. At the time I submitted my devotional, I thought I knew what my Easter preparations would look like this year. And I wrote about meditating through those preparations throughout Holy Saturday. But last week I found myself rewriting that devotional because in the week since I first wrote it, our lives and our world have changed. Our observance of Holy Week and Easter is different than we thought it would be. This spring is not going as we expected. As I return to reflecting on Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus preparing Jesus' body for burial, it struck me that their world had changed too. They didn't expect to be burying Jesus, their teacher, their friend, their Lord. Their lives had been turned upside down. But a few days later, something even less expected occurred. Let's read about that. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Early on that Sunday morning, Mary went to the tomb in the dark, not to prepare Jesus' body for burial. In John's gospel, that had already been done, but she went to the tomb to be in Christ's presence in her grief. I think she went to convince herself that it was all true and not just some terrible nightmare. I suspect you're familiar with grief, the loss of a loved one, 
or a treasured relationship, a job, your health, your sense of security, your freedom. Perhaps you're grieving one or more of those things right now. If you've experienced grief, you're also likely acquainted with that sense of everything feeling so out of sorts that you begin to think that you imagined it all. I'm guessing Mary was experiencing that feeling on the first Easter morning. When she arrived at the tomb and realized the stone had been removed from the opening, she also had something else to concern herself with. She didn't know where Jesus was. Not only was the nightmare real, it was taking a turn. So she ran to get two of the others, and once they saw the empty tomb and the abandoned grave clothes for themselves, they returned home. If we stop there, it doesn't sound much like an Easter story. It sounds like the unsolved mystery of the empty tomb. We're left hanging and wondering what and how much the disciples understood early on that first Easter. It had been a strange and terrible few days for them, and it had just become even more unusual and I would imagine upsetting. I think they went home because they didn't know what else to do. Sometimes we don't know what else to do either. Perhaps you felt that recently. We too are in the midst of a strange time. None of us has experienced a global pandemic before. Some of us are experiencing, experiencing it on top of family issues, recent loss, scary diagnoses, loss of income. Perhaps you've been in a fog for weeks, or you're feeling stuck, or anxious, or depressed, or completely broken. Maybe you're doing okay, and maybe you're finding the silver lining of this time. And I suspect that no matter how we're feeling, every single one of us is aware how this Easter is different than we expected. I would guess that for many of you, you woke up this morning, it didn't feel like Easter, especially if you woke up to a tornado warning on your phone. Um, you may not have found yourself filled with excitement about the day because it doesn't meet your expectations for what Easter looks like. You don't have your carefully ironed clothes hanging on the door of your closet or your table set for 20 guests coming over for a feast after church. Instead, you're worshiping at home in your pajamas again. It's weird for me, too. Here we are in this greatest day of the church year, and I didn't expect to be preaching to a nearly empty room. But it doesn't mean it's not Easter, that there is not cause to celebrate. Because Easter is, in fact, about how God does not adhere to our expectations. Let's hear more about that as we hear more of the gospel story. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The disciples returned home and left Mary weeping at the tomb, alone in the dark. Does that sound familiar? Have you been there? Are you there now? Overcome by grief and praying, waiting for something to happen. For Mary, something does happen. She encounters two angels inside the tomb, but they don't say what angels often say, do not be afraid, nor do they announce that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Instead, they ask Mary why she's weeping. I hear that question as genuine concern and validation of Mary's tears. She has many reasons to be weeping because she did not yet understand The angels knew this, but it apparently wasn't their job to shed light on the situation. Their role was to keep her from dwelling on the tomb so Mary would turn around. When she turns away from the tomb, she encounters Jesus, but mistakes him for the gardener. Obviously, the Jesus that Mary encounters outside the tomb is not the shiny white Jesus with sparkly gold halo that we might imagine on Easter morning. When Mary encountered Jesus, he still had dirt under his nails from his own tomb. He looked ordinary enough and perhaps disheveled enough to be mistaken for the gardener. I know I don't look fresh and clean when I've been gardening. He'd been through a lot for those he loved, and those he loves includes every single one of us. In the literal and figurative darkness of that first Easter morning, Jesus met Mary in the garden, and Jesus meets us in our homes right now, in the darkness of this Easter morning. Communally, we're in the midst of a dark time, and it's far from over. Some of you have been living in darkness for much longer, and the pandemic only makes it worse. It's essential for every single one of us to remember that Jesus is not distant and sterile, white and shiny. He's in the muck with us, with dirt under his nails. In the last month, we've all had to give up valuable aspects of our lives as we plunge full on into doing our part to flatten the curve. We're bound to struggle with this much unanticipated change, especially within our social lives, even if we are healthy, safe, and by all appearances, fine. None of our stuff is too small for Jesus. The good news of Jesus isn't reserved for big things. It's for our everyday lives, from the tiny to the enormous and everything in between. If it's significant to us, it's significant to Jesus. 
Some of us may be struggling enough that it might be tempting to remain in Holy Saturday, to feel like we've entered a tomb and buried the life that we used to live, to put off celebrating Easter for a brighter day. I think Mary was consumed by grief that first Easter morning. And in the midst of her own darkness, I don't think Mary was in the mood to celebrate as she stood outside the tomb weeping. And then she encountered Jesus standing right in front of her, another unexpected event. He called her by name, and in her surprise and excitement, she said, Rabboni, which means teacher, recalling who Jesus had been before the darkness and death of Friday, before everything changed. And now everything was changing again. Jesus was not on his way back to the way things were before. He was on his way to God, to his Father and our Father. And he was making a way for the whole world to go with him. That includes Mary, that includes the disciples, and that includes us. Jesus died and rose again so that we might have new life. Yes, new life in heaven after we die, but new life now, the kingdom of God here on earth, just as we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. And new life begins with hearing Jesus calling our name, inviting us into his family. Jesus called Mary by name, but he didn't stop with calling her name. He commissioned her to be a witness to the disciples, to bear an important message. Jesus instructed her to tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God, and she obeyed. She not only witnessed to the resurrection, she shared the good news of Jesus' ascension, of his return to God the Father, which makes it possible for Jesus' followers to share in his relationship with God and to be a part of his family. That's why it's so significant that Jesus said, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. With Jesus' return to the Father, Jesus' followers are welcomed into God's family. And so, still today, we can share in that relationship and be part of God's family. In baptism, we are adopted into God's family. We die to our old selves and we rise with Christ. We are called and commissioned, and our response is to witness to the light of Christ in the midst of a dark world. The disciples would later receive the Holy Spirit, and we receive the same in our baptism. Through baptism, we are claimed. Jesus' Father is our Father, and Jesus' God is our God. Normally at this service, we participate in the ritual of remembering and reaffirming our baptism. And some are baptized for the first time, making a commitment to a life of discipleship. But we remember our baptism. When we remember our baptism, we reaffirm our faith and renew our covenant with God. Although God is always faithful, we are not quite so faithful. And remembering our baptism helps us to recommit ourselves to following Jesus. If you're not yet baptized and would like to be so that you can publicly affirm your commitment to following Christ with your life, Pastor Sherry Clifton is on the live stream now, and you can connect with her about next steps toward baptism within this congregation.
For those who are baptized, I encourage you to find a way to remember your baptism at home today. That might seem like a strange thing to do at home, but for me, my most significant opportunities for remembering and reaffirming my baptism did not occur in church in the midst of a scheduled ritual. They happened spontaneously. One occurred when I was drenched by a rainstorm on a very significant day in my life. Another happened when I took a walk by a river to find peace and calm in the midst of a stormy period in my life. On both of those occasions, God reminded me powerfully who and whose I am, that God has called me and claimed me. I pray that you can find a way to remember your baptism today, remembering that each of us connects with God uniquely, so it will look different for you than it does for me. I encourage you to spend time today appreciating water and letting water nourish you. There's some ideas on the screen about ways that you can remember your baptism. Within your family, share the baptism story of each person. If you have children in your family, this can be especially valuable. My family does this each year on the anniversary of our children's baptisms. The next one is to play with water in a sink or a bathtub in some way. If you're an adult and don't consider yourself a playful person, this might be a really good one for you to try. Take a walk by a body of water. I know that the parks are closed this weekend, but maybe there's water in your neighborhood, or, or maybe if it's raining later and safe to go outside, the rain might be a good way for you to do that. Look and listen to how God is working within that water. Drink a glass of water slowly and attentively. Don't do anything else while you drink a glass of water. Just sit in silence, drink it, and notice its effect on your body. And another idea is to reflect on key points within your life of faith, however that feels most natural to you. Journaling, praying, whatever works for you. And along with any of these activities, you may want to make the sign of the cross on your forehead with water. You don't have to. That's not a requirement. You may also want to say the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed or to simply say a prayer of gratitude. Whatever you choose to do, do it with intention and openness to God, remembering that God has called you, that God has claimed you, and that God has invited you to be a part of God's family. Take a moment now to consider how God is calling you to remember your baptism today. We talk about baptism on Easter because baptism is a sign of new life, of dying to our old self and becoming new. In the midst of this challenging time, I encourage you to claim new life for yourself, remembering that new life begins in the dark, in the dirt under the ground before new sprouts poke through the soil, in the enclosure of a mother's womb, in the utter despair of grief when a treasured memory offers a glimpse of joy, in a tomb before Jesus overcame death and changed the world forever. 
As new life breaks through the darkness and the dirt and the despair, light comes with it. But not everyone saw the light break in as Mary did that first Easter morning while the sun rose on her encounter with the resurrected Christ. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The doors of the house were locked in fear. Does that sound familiar? Our doors are locked. We may also be afraid. Jesus came into the disciples' presence behind their locked doors and met them in their place of fear. The fear that persisted and kept their doors locked even after Mary had proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Oh, how much we need peace right now. Peace in our hearts, our minds, our homes, our community, our world. These are anxious times, and if you've spent any time reading the rest of the gospel stories, you know that those were anxious times as well. And in that anxious time, when Jesus came to the disciples in their home, they recognized him and believed. Scripture tells us the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. I hope you're realizing now that the first Easter was not celebrated in a big worship center full of people in their fancy clothes. Especially during this global crisis, your Easter celebrations at home bear far more resemblance to that first Easter than anything that we can, that we can recreate in the worship center. I hope and pray that you encounter Jesus in an unexpected way today, because Easter is about encountering the risen Christ, still covered in dirt from entering into the muck for and with those he loves. Easter is about receiving peace from Jesus. It's about receiving peace and rejoicing in the hope-filled gift of new life. What will that look like for you today? How is Jesus calling your name? I can almost guarantee that it will be unexpected. Let us pray. God of grace, wherever we are today, enable us to open our hearts to work, to your work in our lives. We give you thanks for the resurrection, for the gift of new life. Help us to encounter you today. Remind us that we are your children, called, claimed as part of your family. Speak into our hearts now. Surround us with your peace. Fill us with your joy. Overwhelm us with your grace. Help us to be faithful members of your family, serving as witnesses to your good work in and for the world, a foretaste of your kingdom on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.